Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. continue in the name of Jesus as we study this morning. So grab your Bibles or your devices, turn to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30 is where we'll be this morning, continuing our series through the book of Exodus. We do have resources available on our website, and there's some um, signs some out in the hallways with some QR codes to scan. You'll get a study guide that goes along with each uh, week, and also there's a family guide there if you're looking for ways to lead your family well. There's a family guide and ways that each week you can lead your family in discussion of Exodus and uh, point them to Jesus. So that's, that's the hope for us this morning. Good news is this, uh, we're gonna finish the tabernacle today. And so you've done it, you've made it. What felt like three long winters, we've made it through. And so we're at the end of it today. It's gonna feel like uh, that drawer you have in the kitchen where you just throw everything in that doesn't really have a place. It's gonna feel like that today. Uh, but God's not a junk drawer kind of God. God has purpose with it. And so I, wanna, I, want, I pray the Spirit leads us to that purpose here this morning as, as we study. So we'll be in Exodus 30, verses 11 through 38. On the screen right now will be some scriptures I'm gonna use throughout the day. It's not many, it's just a few of them. But I do want you to see that it's all coming from the Word of God. So as you take notes, you can take a picture of this or just read this throughout the week. But we're gonna do it all here together uh, this morning. I don't know how many of you are reality TV show people. How many of you are um, cooking show people? Are you cooking show people? Okay, how many of you are home improvement, home renovation show people? Okay, so here's what's happened for us in this reality show generation that we are in. Um, somehow we've all become experts on the things that we watch on TV. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that um, anytime now you go out to eat or somebody makes you something or you have a cupcake to eat, you all of a sudden turn into Gordon Ramsay? And you want to talk about all the things, I, I taste a hint of nutmeg in here. You've never had nutmeg a day in your life. You have no idea what you're talking about. You couldn't distinguish it if I only gave you nutmeg. You'd be like, I, what, what is this? This tastes like something uh, that my sister Meg would make with nuts. Is this what this is? this? No, right. but we act like we do. Or you, you're an expert on home renovation now. So now you walk into someone's home and you begin telling them what walls you would take down to create more of an open concept. Man, if it's just flow better through here, I'll put some shiplap on that wall. Let me go with some more white here and then maybe some white to go with the white over here. I think we should do that. We should do all that together. But what's happened though is we've become deceived into thinking we can distinguish things that we really can't distinguish. We really can't. But what I wanna look at this morning in this passage of Exodus is the call God has given us to make some distinguishing remarks and to live our lives with distinguishing characteristics. So I'm gonna look at it this morning. I'm gonna read through all of these verses, verses 11 through 38. You can do it. We can do it together. It'll be on the screen. It'll be in your device or on your Bible. We're gonna read that together. And then I want to walk back through it. There are four sections I wanna walk back through. And I want you to pay attention, even as we read through it, pay attention to words that are repeated. Um, pay attention to the severity and what seems like really extreme views of what's happening here. So I'm gonna read it uh, for us. And then we're gonna study together. Exodus chapter 30, verse 11. This is the end of the tabernacle descriptions. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there shall be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And the shekel is 20 geras. That's really helpful 
for us to know that. It's 20 Garas. I know it helped you to know that. I'm kidding. I, I, are we okay today? We're gonna make it? It doesn't get better from here. That's the best I've got. All right, half a shekel is basically, it's all over the place from commentaries. It could be anywhere from like 67 cents to $67. I don't know. Uh, but the max that I read was like $75. So um, this, is, this is that, what this ransom tax or this atonement uh, tax has been given here. Verse 14, everyone who is numbered in the census or the counting from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offerings. So everyone, once you turn 20, this is what you give. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. So it's to make remembrance, this whole, the giving of this tax, of this half shekel is to be remembrance for people. We'll learn later in Exodus 38 that this silver shekel that had been given was used, it was melted down and used to construct parts of the tabernacle. We'll learn that later. So let's continue into verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin, basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. We've learned that in the past two and a half years, how important hand washing is. It's, there's signs to tell you how to do it because if you don't, you might just die. But this is, this is important, we'll come back to it. Verse 21, they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, which would be liquid, which would be about 12 and a half pounds, is this 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. And of sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250 for you math majors, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, which is similar to cinnamon, is probably taken from the bark of the plant from which we get cinnamon. This is what cassia is. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen, we all know what that is, I don't have to. A hen is one and a half gallons of olive oil. So you notice this is a large amount of what they're making here. You shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table, all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations." It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, meaning not a priest, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. To be cut off from your people means no more family, no more friends, no more coming to the temple or the tabernacle, none of that. Verse 34, and the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti, which is a very fine liquid myrrh, Anika, which is, it's the membrane of the shell of a mollusk. So you'd scrape it, 
beat it all down. And then galbanum, which is the gum resin of a parsley-like plant, kind of the sticky part of, like a, of a leafy plant. Sweet spices with pure frankincense, and of, of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So here's our tabernacle map. Maybe the last time we'll see this. And so this gets get our bearings as far as what's being said here. On the right is the, this is the tabernacle. So it's the courtyard on the outside. On the right is the gate to get into the courtyard. It's on the Eastern side. It's a very biblical idea. And when you walk into the gate or this curtain, you would then face the bronze altar. The bronze altar is where all the sacrifices were made for sin. It's all made right there and for fellowship at the bronze altar. And then in the courtyard from the bronze altar, you get to the bronze basin, which we just read about here in Exodus 30. Bronze biblically represents judgment. The courtyard is a place of judgment. It's a place of confession and repentance and judgment. And once you get through that, then you get into what's called the holy place, which is where this squiggly curtain line is. Inside the holy place is the altar of incense, which we read about uh, last week, the table of showbread, and the lampstand, all inside the holy place. And then further in, in the holy of holies, past the veil that separates those two, is what's called the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony, as we just read here. So what we just read um, basically takes us from the holy of holies and it expands its way out. That's important for us to understand and that basin is important to us. And then you see all of the furniture. We've finished furnishing the tabernacle now. We've finished with the curtains. We've finished with, with all of it. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna go back into Exodus 30, 11 through 38. And I wanna look at these four sections. And I want to bring to your mind, I wanna illuminate uh, the theme of what's happening here. So let's go back to verse 11. Every section begins with this phrase, the Lord said to Moses. So here's section one. When you take the census of the people of Israel, census means to lift heads or to count their heads. Those of you with multiple children in your family, you know what it means. You have to count their heads every time you see them. If you're in student ministry or a teacher, you go on a field trip, you're counting heads all day long. This is what it means. To take a census of the people of Israel. It's the first time they've been told there will be a census. God doesn't command the census here, just that when you take a census. Now, Scholars disagree completely as far as when this census was taken. Was it taken every year? Was it taken multiple times? Was it just taken this one time? Is this in regard to any census that is taken? No one can agree on it. So all I'm gonna say is, I don't know. But that's not important, because if it was important, God would tell us how important it is. Not important. But when you take the census of the people of Israel, each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So God tells Moses, hey, count people and make sure they pay you to count them because if they don't pay you, I'm gonna send a plague. Which sounds like a loving God to me, right? That, that makes sense. This word plague, it takes us back to the 10 plagues only. This word plague is only used for the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn, the plague of the Passover uh, lamb, which Daryl just talked about. This plague word means death, so what God tells Moses is, hey, when you take a census of the people, have them pay half, of, half a shekel. That way I can withhold death from them. Sounds a lot like what you're saying is, hey, pay me or else you'll die. That's what it sounds like. 
But you notice the extremity. This feels extreme, like it's a census. But this census is for atonement. We read as we read through it. The point is that when you would pay that half shekel, which is not a lot, a lot to pay if it's once a year, even one time, $50, to pay that, what he's saying is when you pay it, you need to be remembered. This is based on atonement, the covering of your sins. You need to be drawn back to this idea. Then let's go to verse 17 for the next section. The Lord said to Moses, they, the priests, and then Aaron, the high priest, shall wash their hands and feet so that they may not die. It feels extreme. You need to wash your hands so that you won't die. This will be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. So here's what's happening. God is making distinction, making distinction between those who are counted as part of the family of God and then those who are not. Those who are not, the plague comes upon them. He's making a distinction between those who are sanctified, those who have washed their hands and their feet in the water of the basin and those who have not. He's making distinction. Let's go to verse 22 for the third section. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen, one and a half gallons of olive oil, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil. Now this word sacred comes up again, but what's interesting is that in the Hebrew language, which is what this is written in, the root of the word sacred is gonna find itself repeated multiple, multiple times. Sacred anointing oil blended is by the perfumer. It shall be holy. Holy and sacred are the same Hebrew word. What it means is set apart for an intended purpose. He's made distinctions in the first two sections and now he's making a distinction about this anointing oil. It's not like other oils. This is sacred, it's set apart. It shall be a holy anointing oil. Verse 26, you shall anoint, with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table, all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. And if you're keeping track, that's everything. This holy oil should anoint everything in the tabernacle the tent of meeting itself, and then all of the furniture and its utensils. Verse 29, you shall consecrate them. That word consecrate is the verb form of sacred and holy. It means to set apart, to make holy. Same root Hebrew word. You shall consecrate them. Consecrate what? The furnishings and the utensils. That they may be most holy, most set apart. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons. These are the people, the men who work inside the tabernacle, inside the, the place of worship. You shall consecrate them. You shall set them apart that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy, set apart, sanctified, anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. It's holy because I say so and you should see it as holy also. Verse 33, whoever compounds any like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Again, God's making distinction. Those who know what they're doing with the oil and those who do not. Verse 34, section four. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti, onica, galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and 
holy, pure and set apart. Pure meaning undefiled, untainted, not mixed with anything else, like pure gold. It's only this, pure and set apart. This is the incense uh, for the, the altar of incense. Verse 36, you shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you, most set apart. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It is holy. It shall be for you or in your mind, holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Apparently this incense smelled so good, people would be drawn to using it as perfume. And God said, no, 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 it is set apart. It's holy. It's only for this purpose. And so God gives these at the end of the tabernacle blueprint. He says, and this is what you are to do to it. This is how you are to make it what it is supposed to be. Without this, it's just a tent in the desert. That's all it is. But God says, now let me give you the rest. This is how we are to use it. Leviticus is essentially the priest manual. It tells the priest how to perform what they need to perform inside of the tabernacle. Sacrifices and oils and incense, all of that happens there. We talked about uh, last week or the week before about um, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, how they offered strange fire to the Lord. There was no repentance with what they had offered in their prayer. What Moses continues in Leviticus 10, and now he's gonna tell the priest, hey, we had that mistake. Let me just remind you of what your job description is. And he says this in Leviticus 10.10. You are to distinguish, you are to make distinction between the holy and the common, between the set-apart the sacred, the consecrated, and the common. Some of your translations, instead of common, say profane. So this word common can be a number of different uses, usages. One to the extreme means profane. The common is profane. This is a word the Hebrews would use to describe sand, meaning it's just everywhere. It's common. It's just common. As a priest, you are to distinguish, make distinction, draw a line between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. The holy and common, that's spiritual language. Clean and unclean is moral language, behavior. As a priest, he would continue in verse 11 and say, now your job is to teach this to the people. Teach them how to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. We need to make distinctions. Well, here's the issue for us in 2022. To make distinctions is offensive, we do not live in an era of distinction. We live in an era of blendedness. To distinguish, to make distinction, to, stand, set, to be set apart, to stand apart is offensive to our culture. And so what's happened, sadly, is that the church for 20 to 25 years has failed to distinguish between the holy and the common particularly evangelical churches. And here's why. Because evangelical churches, and in the South in particular, have decided that the common's not so bad. In fact, what we'll do is we will leverage the common to get people into the holy. What we've said is we'll take the world and we'll use the world to get people to Jesus. Nowhere in scripture are we taught that. In fact, the only on-ramp into holiness is holiness. It's the only way in. So we live in a world where to distinguish between the holy and the common gets us canceled, gets, gets us outcasted, gets us without any friends, makes us lonely. But there is a calling. 
the New Testament, we are called a kingdom of priests. Our role in the world is to distinguish, to make distinction between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and to teach our kids how to do it, to teach our churches how to do it. To live in a world that's blended, that blends the holy and the common, is not the world the Bible describes. The Bible describes followers of Jesus as set apart, as distinguishable, as different, that we shine like stars in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. But for many of us, what's happened is we've begun to blend the holy and the common. And we end up frustrated, we end up angry, we end up bitter, we end up exhausted, we end up anxious and depressed. And what if, maybe, what if what's happened is it's not because um, we've pursued holiness, we've pursued common holiness. And the Bible is clear that is not the way of Scripture. And so as God finishes the tabernacle, he says, if you're going to use this, how I need you to use it, you need to understand how special this is. You need to understand this tent is not like other tents. This tent is not like your house. This tent is not like the golf course. This tent is not like your hunting tree stand. It's not like that. This is different. This is set apart. This is completely unique. Well, then the question is, well, then how do we do it, right? How do we distinguish between the holy and the common? It feels like for many of us, it excites us because we love judging people, so it sounds great. We're all in. I mean, I've been doing it my whole life. Look at my Facebook feed. I've been doing this forever. No, no, no. But how do we do it in a way that glorifies the Lord? What is, what is actually being asked of us? Well, I'm glad you asked because in Exodus 30, I think we're given four ways to distinguish between the holy and the common. God does it, and then he invites us into it. And so first I would say this, the first thing we have to distinguish, we have to distinguish between the holy and the common in our view of atonement. Before we can get into behavior, we're going to need to distinguish between the holy and the common in our view of atonement. Here is the holy view of atonement. Your sin has been covered by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the only view the Bible speaks of. The holy view of atonement, of your sin being covered, is only through the finished work and the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. That's it. There is no other way. That's it. The price for us, we need to understand, the price of holy atonement is universal. Now, I don't mean it's universal that everybody gets it. What I mean is it's, the price is the same. And here's how I know that. Exodus 30, verse 15. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. Which feels unfair, doesn't it? Like it feels like we should do percentages because it doesn't feel fair for the poor uh, farmer to have to give the same amount as the wealthy businessman. But here's the point. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, this word lives is the Hebrew word nephesh, which means soul. When you give atonement for your soul, it costs the same. Whether you're rich or you are poor, male or female, black or white, it's the same price. And the price of atonement is death. And it's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The holy view of atonement is this. I don't care what your flavor of sin is. If your flavor of sin is murder and adultery or your flavor of sin is gossip on social media, the price for your atonement is the same. It's the shed blood of Jesus. That's the holy view of atonement. 
For many of us, what we've adopted is a common view of atonement, which is I can, if I perform better, if I work harder, if I do these things, if I give more money, if I memorize more Bible verses, if my sin isn't as bad as that guy's, then it costs less. No, no, no. It costs the same. The holy view of atonement is the only atonement we ever receive is through the finished blood, the finished work and shed blood of Jesus. That's the holy view of atonement. You have been set apart by the finished work of Jesus. Not based on your gifting, not based on your church attendance, not based on your Awana awards. You have been set apart through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's core and central for us. Second, we have to distinguish between the holy and the common in our view of sanctification. Sanctification is how we become more like Jesus, how we live lives that are pleasing to Jesus. This is about behavior. This is about how we actually transform and change our lives. Look at Exodus 30, verses 18 and 19. You shall also make a basin of bronze. Bronze, we've talked about this in length, scripturally refers to judgment with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, between the altar of sacrifice and then where we get into the presence of, of God. Between the two is the bronze altar. You shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. So it's crucial. The holy view of atonement is that it's already been paid for. We need to know it. The holy view of atonement is your sins have already been paid for. The problem is, even though it's been paid, you and I still run back to sin. Our hearts are wired to run back towards it. So what we need is a regular washing. That's what we need. We need our hands and feet regularly washed. This is sanctification. We've already been made clean by the blood of Jesus. That's crucial. But our relationship to God is made more intimate through the regular washing at the bronze basin, which means to distinguish between the holy and the common is that it is holy to walk in confession and repentance regularly. That's holy. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't sin. It just means you do something differently when you do sin. We confess and we repent. This is, we need to have lives marked by a growing morality, a growing conviction, a, a growing difference in our lives. If you're following Jesus and you are 30 years into following Jesus and you're the same jerk you were 30 years ago, you may not be following Jesus. distinguishable progression when it comes to morality by spending time at the bronze altar, spending time with confession and repentance. Now, being washed by the water throughout the Bible is put in relation to being washed by the word of God. We, as followers of Jesus, are people of the word, people of the Bible. And it's the Bible that washes, the Bible that continues to renew us and spring us forward towards deeper sanctification. The common view of sanctification, there's two views. One is, it's just how I'm wired. Sorry, deal with it. The second is, I'm gonna make myself better by pulling myself up by my bootstraps. How's that going for you? Is that going well? The holy view of sanctification is it only happens through the washing of the word, through confession and repentance. Paul in Ephesians chapter four says it this way. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the kingdom of priests. You need to start to live like it. Walk worthy of it. You cannot dabble in the common when God has called you to walk in the holy. 
This is not about legalism. This is about your flourishing. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know what keeps us humble and gentle? Continually washing our hands in the bronze altar of confession and repentance. It's really hard to be arrogant when you have to go wash your hands again. Third, we need to distinguish between the holy and the common in the place of worship. Verse 25, you shall make of these a sacred, holy, set-apart anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a set-apart, a holy, a sanctified anointing oil. With it, you are to anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table, its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate, you shall set them apart, that they may be most set apart. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, those who work in the tabernacle, the place of worship, and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Now, please hear me. In 2022, we've lost the sacredness of worship. I don't mean that holistically. I just think, I do think we've generally lost the sacredness of worship and we've lost the sacredness of the place of worship, which is why you believe, some of us believe you can go home and sit on your couch and watch a YouTube service and think you've done church. You haven't done church. You've watched TV and it was a good moral lesson, but you could watch Family Matters and get that. To distinguish between the holy and the common in the place of worship means that this is set apart. What we are doing right now is unique and it's sacred and it is holy. It is not to be messed with. It's not just something you put on your calendar in case you have time. It's something we do because it's set apart and it matters and it's holy. This place matters. It's worth something. It's unique because something sacred happens here. The building is not holy, but when the people of God gather together, we build a temple that is holy and set apart to him. This is not legalism. I'm not saying you should have to wear suits and ties. Please, no, I don't want, no. But I will say this, if that's what it takes for you to remember it's sacred and set apart, then you better put on the suit and tie. And if that's what it takes to move you from the common to the holy, please do it. But if you can remember how sacred this place is in your ripped up jeans and t-shirt, then go for it. This is not about legalism. This is about a heart that says, no, 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 this is different than other things that I do. This is not like going to work. This is not like the ball field. This is not like that. This is different. And we need to begin to regard it as such. So it means we don't schedule things when we have church. And you need to hear me. I don't get commissioned based on who's here, right? Like I, I don't, that's not my concern. My concern is you're flourishing. It, this is sacred. This is set apart. So it means don't fall asleep. I'll do the best I can. But this is sacred. When we worship, it's sacred. Sing. Let your heart be molded to the heart of God. This isn't a time for coffee and bathroom breaks. This is a time for worship. Sound like my grandfather. I'm just saying I think we've lost some of it. And while, yes, we should come to Jesus as we are, we cannot stay that way. He brings us in that he might transform us and send us back out. And so what we do here matters. How we treat it matters. Every piece of furniture was anointed with this oil. What if you began to believe that the maroon chair you're sitting in has been sanctified? 
What if when you pulled into the parking lot, you understood this place is set apart? What we're about to do is set apart. Would it change your approach? Would it change your heart and your mindset? Would it change how you view what we're doing here today? Fourth, we need to distinguish between the holy and the common in our method of worship, not just our place, but our method of worship. Verse 36 of Exodus 30, you shall beat some of it very small and put, it on, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be set apart. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. I think we need to draw some lines about how and why we worship. We don't worship for us. We worship for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you've sat in your chair and complained about a song, you need to hear this. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping God. And so if you don't like a song, you don't like the music, we can have a conversation. But ultimately it comes down to, I don't like how that makes me feel. I love you. Worship is not about how it makes you feel. Worship is about a holy God. And we don't worship God because things are good. We worship God because he is good. This holy oil, this holy incense, it's not for them, it's holy unto the Lord. This worship that we do through prayer and music and giving, it's not about you. And sure, are there times when you come in and, and you worship and you are taught and you walk out feeling better? Absolutely. But here's the ridiculous thing about church. As adults, we choose to put ourselves in a situation where we might leave feeling worse about ourselves. You might actually leave so convicted by the Spirit that you might actually feel worse about yourself. And then by some strange and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, you want to come back the next week. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We set apart our worship. If you are leveraging worship to make yourself feel good, you will be sorely disappointed. If you're leveraging worship to get new business, you might need to find somewhere else to worship. If you're leveraging your worship to get likes on social media, you might need to find a new way to worship. This worship is wholly devoted unto the Lord. We need to distinguish the holy view of worship is this is about a holy God who deserves more than I can ever give him. And this is what I have to give to him today. I'm gonna to give all of it. A common view of worship says, I'm feeling pretty down. Maybe I'll go worship. Holy view of worship is all about God. The common view of worship is how it makes me feel. As kingdom of priests, we need to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And we need to teach generations after us to understand how to do it. Leon Hyatt, it's just an old Baptist pastor down in, I think, Mississippi or Alabama. They all run together for me. No offense, Brandon. <laughs> but he says this. He says, it was not only dangerous for the priest's clear understanding of spiritual matters, it was also dangerous for all Israel because the priest taught Israel and set an example before them. And then listen to this. If the priests went astray in their understanding of spiritual matters, the whole nation in time would also go astray. Amen? Amen. I'm not gonna make Israel America, but I'm gonna say this. 
You can blame America all you want. You can blame politicians all you want for where they are. But if the kingdom of priests were to act like a kingdom of priests, we might be in a different place. It matters. Our distinguishing, our distinctions matter. J.C. Ryle is a theologian and author and a pastor, and he wrote a book, and I'm use a few quotes from this book that re- reference holiness. He says, there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough, a cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. You want your faith in Jesus to matter. We're gonna have to start drawing some lines. And what that means, students, is you might need to draw some lines with your friends. You need to draw lines with your girlfriend and your boyfriend. You need to distinguish between the holy and the common. You need to draw lines with your music. You've got, I don't wanna sound like a 90s youth pastor, but you have to. Because what you put into your soul will kill you or bring you life. And adults, you need to hear it too. We gotta make distinctions with what we listen to and what we, how we act and how we live. We've gotta make distinctions in our marriages, in our parenting. We've got to draw lines, distinction between the holy and the common. And J.C. Ryle finishes with this. Believe me, he says, you cannot stand still in your souls. Habits of good or evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day, you are either getting nearer to God or further off. There is no coasting. There is no neutral. We're all being discipled every day by something. And it's up to us to follow the lines the Lord has given. And David tells us in the Psalms that the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. If you would just believe it, that God is for your good. He's for your flourishing. And so to draw the lines, to draw distinctions might actually lead to life, not death. And then you say, well, come on, that's extreme, right? Like he's gonna kill them if they don't give and then he's gonna send the plague and he's gonna cast them off. And you would say, surely you won't die. Which sounds a lot like the serpent in the garden, doesn't it? Sure. It may not affect you today or tomorrow when that blended gray area decision you make may not affect you in a week or two. Give it time. Because that plague that takes root in your soul will kill you. And it will cast you off. You will feel distant from God, distant from friends and family. Because years ago, you blended the common and the holy. Many of us right now today, we can look back and say, yeah, I did that. And maybe you're like me. I've spent most of my life not drawing lines. And I would say it's because I don't wanna offend people. The truth is, I don't like when offended people don't like me. That's my issue, it's selfish. It's really not about you, this is about me. I don't like that you don't like me. So I wouldn't draw lines. And a handful of years ago, those decisions cost me deeply. And by the grace of God and through his shed blood, there's been restoration. Please, I urge you, at this point, draw some lines. Make some distinctions between the follower of Jesus and the world. Not in a way of hierarchy to make ourselves better, but maybe, maybe if we shine like stars in a crooked and perverse generation, that generation might be drawn to Jesus. Because right now they say, well, the church is no different than me. God forbid. 
We need to make distinctions again. And if you're here today and you're far from the Lord and someone lied to you and said, you can get to God through common means, I'm gonna tell you the truth, you cannot. And you're exhausted and worn out from your worldly pursuits of a holy God. The only way to a holy God is through holiness and he has given you holiness through the shed blood of his son. And the things that you desire, the contentment and satisfaction of your soul will only be found there. And the way there is not what the world's telling you. The way there is what the Bible tells you, that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God who gave his life for you, who shed blood and made atonement. He paid the full atonement costs for you that you might be brought into relationship with him. Maybe there's some of us here today that we've blended the holy and common in regards to our sanctification and we've stopped confessing and repenting and we've started piling on more good works to offset the bad works. It will not work. You'll be exhausted and anxious. Accept the finished work of Jesus through a daily, hourly confession and repentance. Have you sinned? Yep. Have I sinned? Yes. And I hate it. But I can run to a father with it father who can heal and restore and redeem all that's been broken and lost who gives back the years the locusts have eaten confession and repentance is available to you through his word third maybe you have compromised the holy and the common in the place of worship and so maybe your calendar isn't set apart maybe your schedule isn't set apart maybe your heart in this place maybe you come here because it's traditions because it's what grandma always made you do and so now you feel close to grandma when you come Maybe you come because maybe sometimes it makes you feel good. Maybe you have some friends who are great. I'm just saying the holiness of this gathering should not be lost on us. Maybe it's time we'd make that distinction again. And then that distinction becomes a priority to us, not as a means of legalism, but as a means of flourishing. And lastly, fourthly, maybe we've lost the distinction in our worship. And we've started seeing how God can please me when I worship. What if we started to please God in how we worship? What if that was our distinction today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and I'm just gonna pray, give us some time. In our world, there's a lot of gray. And some of that's by design. But as a kingdom of priests, we need to make some distinctions because while there is gray, the Bible is full of black and white also. And maybe you've compromised in places Maybe the guilt and shame you feel right now is from the spirit, but you don't have to live in that. You can walk forward in confession and repentance instead and be set free from it. Maybe your life has fallen apart in the past couple of weeks. And by the grace of God, like the the prophet Jonah, he allowed the storm to come when you were running from him, that by his grace, the waves and the thunder and the lightning are actually drawing you back to him and his purpose for your life. Well, you've got a fresh set of eyes now to distinguish between the holy and the common. Will you take advantage of it today? It might mean to do away with some relationships for this season. It might mean to do away with some music, to do away with some talk radio, to do away with some social media. But it's time, church, that we distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and we teach generations after us to do the same. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us as a people who are undeserving and yet overjoyed by the fact that you would. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that even in our compromise, God, you've never left us or abandoned us. That where we feel far off is not because you've left, but because we have. 
so God, would you turn our eyes and our affections back to you? Give us courage in the days to come to continue to make distinction between the holy and the common. That we might recognize what you're building is for your purposes, for your glory alone. Hide us in that truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.